0: West Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. So, Russia. He mentioned uh, he mentioned that I was gone. I was in Russia for eight days, visiting Todd Rose, our missionary there. He's in the town of Saratov. It's a town of about the size of Columbus, about a million people, a 16-hour train ride a long 16-hour train ride southeast of Moscow. And uh, my primary purpose there at this time was to just do some consulting with their leadership team. For those of you that don't know, before I came here, I did full-time consulting with churches for years. And last year, a friend of mine started to work with them because they were they were actually one of the largest churches in Russia. And... Uh, and, but they don't have the resources that we have here to understand, to learn and grow about, and the consulting help to learn and grow how to lead better at a larger size organization. So, a friend of mine went and did an initial consultation with them last year, and they, uh, when I got there this year, we went through what they did and, and I tell you what they are some of the most courageous intentional leaders i 've worked with they 're fantastic they made such huge growth. they were dying a year ago i mean i mean physically killing themselves because they were leading a church of about a thousand in a structure that really is designed for a church of about 100. And they made so much progress this year. They're doing so much better. And we made another huge several steps forward, and we'll probably do another visit with them next year. But I am so excited about what God is doing there. I've often said to you that it is an amazing privilege It is an amazing blessing and opportunity for us to be able to be a part of this in even a small way through our mission support of them. And we've talked about it in the past, not just, not just because it's a city of a million people where 97% of the people don't have any relationship with Jesus and don't aren't typically even hearing the message of the gospel. I mean, that's an opportunity in of itself. Having one of the largest churches in Russia growing and planting churches and doing well, that's a huge opportunity. But it's also a huge opportunity because the pastors on their staff there have huge influence in Moscow. They go to Moscow on a regular basis, and they are part of the national policy debate on religious freedom in all of Russia, and they're making a huge difference. And then we look at Todd Rose our, this, and specifically, and, and I could describe in lots of ways his influence on that whole leadership team there, but he leads an international church. There's one of the leading universities in Russia is in Saratov, and uh, he leads a, a church for international students there. It's actually an English-speaking service and uh, just doing a fantastic job discipling people. And even beyond that, Todd is the key leader in Russia to train people from universities all over Russia to do this same type of ministry in campuses all over Russia. And it's one of these things where in one location we get to really, truly impact the entire world in many dramatic ways. Um, and I have to I have to admit, I went there with really high expectations and... Uh, Every single expectation was exceeded that I had. I mean, you, 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 I, I have rarely worked with a leadership team so so intentional and so capable and so committed and so good in my years of consulting and le- working with churches. And uh, and the stories I got to hear about the impact that Todd's discipleship is having in the international church are phenomenal. Uh, it, It is not an overstatement at all to say that the discipleship he is doing is going to impact, send back to the countries from which they came. Community and indeed national leaders. I got to hear the story of one young gal whose uh, cousins and mom and dad and grandparents and uncles and aunts, all of them as a clan are basically scraping every penny they have together to pay for her to go to medical school so she can come back and bring health services to their community and break the cycle of poverty for their family. Just an amazing story. And I got to have another young man come up to me and talk to me about how he had had the privilege of being having his M.D. paid for, his, his, his study to be an M.D. paid for. And then he's going on to get a degree in medical administration. And he's already pegged to be the person who moves through the, through the ranks to become the national head of all health services in his country. I mean, Todd is doing an amazing job of discipling people who are going to be key leaders in their countries, and it's just just a tremendous opportunity for us to be a part of it. And as I listened to more of the stories, I heard other people who were talking about being teachers in an area that didn't have a good education. I heard people talk about being university professors and making a difference in their country, about being engineers and about being lawyers. And I forgot the baby dedication, didn't I? Oh, gosh! And we're going to pause right there at that moment of anticipation. We're going to do what I I almost forgot to do. Thank you for being bold enough to walk out in front of me. Let's dedicate some babies. We have such great families. Such great kids. you ever look at babies and you just go, I wonder what kind of life change they're going to bring to the world around us. You know, uh, today we're going to talk about this whole issue of this anticipation for defining moments in our life, for this anticipation that we approach life for. You know, when I look at... uh, that many of your lives, when I look at these babies' lives, when I look at the lives and the stories I heard of the people in the Russian church, the international church over there, there's such, a, such an anticipation of God's destiny. And when I look at lives, and when I look at my own life, and when I look at other people's lives, there's, a, I think, an important lesson that comes out about how we arrive at making a defining difference in life. And that lesson is this. How we deal with anticipation, how we deal with waiting, how we deal with preparation has a lot to do with the depth and the quality of those defining moments in our lives of making a difference. Today we begin by celebrating Advent. Advent has been celebrated in the church since the 6th century. It is a time uh, where the word Advent actually comes from the Latin. It just means coming or preparation. It's four weeks of waiting, four weeks of preparing for Jesus to become more real to us. Obviously, the first Advent was waiting for him to come. But for us in the church today, we try to use this time as a time to look back, in remembrance of where Jesus has been real in our life in the previous year and the blessing and give thanks for it, and we look to our present and our future as to how we can respond better to him to allow him to become even more real. But today, as I think about waiting and I think about preparing for Christmas, I actually think about two audiences, and those two audiences approach Christmas and the emotion of it very differently. I think of children and I think of adults. So let me ask you a question. How many of you, as kids, patiently sat, looking at the presents under the tree, never ever touching them or shaking them or trying to figure out what the presents were? Anybody? If I see any hand, we're going to canonize you as a saint next week because you are a miracle, right? Okay. Okay, let me ask you this. So before the presents were under the tree, how many of you went searching throughout the house to try to find them so you could figure out what you were getting before you got it without mom and dad knowing, right? So how many of you who searched for them and found them took them out and played with them? Yeah? I'm seeing a few heads nodding. Okay, here's the real kicker question. How many of you searched for them, found them, took them out and played with them and broke them? <laughs> those are the stories I really want to hear after service. I would love to have a few of those stories. Um, I remember the Advent calendars being a, being a tradition in our family. I don't know if you do that. And counting down the days till Christmas. And I remember as a kid being so impatient... It just came way too slow. It couldn't get here fast enough. And yet the amazing thing is that Christmas always came. As adults, I I think we approach it differently when we see the Advent calendar come out. Uh, we start getting stressed. We start thinking about all the shopping, all the planning, how are we going to get our work done so we have enough time off to make this a really meaningful time for the family. We take on the stress to make our holidays a defining moment in our family's life. It has to be some sort of special. It has to be unique. It has to be happy. It has to be maybe romantic or it has to be really memorable. I mean, I've already seen on Facebook some of you fretting over this. I've seen you posting statements like, I have no clue what to get my husband for Christmas or my wife for Christmas on Facebook. In fact, I can relate to that. In fact, I am the worst shopper ever when it comes to my wife. For years, uh, we used to go out on dates. And she used to take me to the mall. We didn't have the money to buy anything, but we would just look around all the time trying to, for her to give me a fashion sense so that I could actually successfully buy something for her. And can I just say it was an, it was just a complete failure. I just... about the only thing I can once in a while buy that she keeps and likes is a pajamas, and I haven't determined whether I'm actually good at picking those out or whether it's just tolerable because nobody else has to see her in it. So uh, if you're like me, I feel for you. In all of our lives, whether it's the dreams that these African students in Todd's International Church told me, or your dreams for making a difference, or whether it's just your dreams for what you want your family to be like, or whether it's just simply the dream that you want for your family at Christmas to be this defining moment, there's this dynamic in all of it for all of us of getting to those moments of waiting of preparation. And at the heart of the first Christmas story is this dynamic. And we're going to take a look at it today because for many generations, for 600 plus years, there was always a group of Jewish people who waited every day expecting not Santa Claus, but the Messiah to come. And unlike the certainty of our Advent calendar where Christmas always comes... For them, it was generation after generation after dying off generation that waited and waited for this to come. And over those years, while many Jews abandoned their faith, there was always a group of people who got up every day and lived every day as if the Messiah might show up that day and fulfill God's promise to them as individuals and as a people. Let's take a look at two of those people. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Because like them, for all of us, there will be points in our quest to follow Jesus and our points in our time, in, in our journey to want to wanna make a defining difference in life where God may seem quiet, where God may seem inactive, even distant. That leads us to the point of asking questions. Questions like, why am I doing this? Why am I obeying God and what the Bible says is a right and good way to live life? Why am I sacrificing and giving so much of my time and my money to the church? Why am I not moving in with my boyfriend or my girlfriend instead of waiting for marriage? Why am I taking hours of my week to read the Bible or to pray or go to church or serve others? Am I just afraid? that if I abandon these things, that life will not go well for me? Is my faith really just superstition, or is it real? And if you're in one of those times of questioning, then the Christmas story, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, this whole Advent preparing for Christmas is especially for you, but it's really for all of us. Let's look at Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priest of the division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So both Zechariah and Elizabeth were pastor's kids, of pastor's kids, of pastor's kids, generations on back. It goes on and says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, which means when God looked at him, he said, man, they always make the right choice. I can't believe it. They're always doing the right thing. And it goes on, it says, observing all the Lord's commands. Now, that, that is a lot of commands. And not only are they observing them all and decrees, but it says they were doing it blamelessly. In other words, if an investigative journalist followed them around for days on end, trying to find gossip on them, they would have nothing to write about. And understand, Zechariah and Elizabeth are doing things blamelessly for commands and promises that were given them 600 to 2,000 years before this. And how was that working for them? Verse 7, But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, I'm sure you have as well, but I've seen the tears of women and of men who have wanted to have children. And that pain is great. But to understand what's actually going on in this passage, we have to magnify that pain many times because of the stigma put on childlessness in Jesus' day. It was a common belief that God granted children and that they were a blessing from God. And if you were childlessness, childless, then the opposite was true. And there was also a belief that that was largely the worth of a woman was to have children in Jesus' day. And here's Elizabeth, this pastor's kid, married to a preacher, the holy man of the community, living a blameless life to everybody's account, and yet she's cursed by God for apparently no good reason. And the text says she was very old. Zechariah and Elizabeth, I'm sure, hoped for children in their late teens when they probably got married, in their 20s, and they continued to pray for children in their 30s and into their 40s. And I, I, I would bet that they probably even continued to hold out hope and pray for children into their early 50s, but there was no child. And Elizabeth lived with the shame. And she lived with the gossip gossip of people saying, they look blamelessly blameless, but there must be something secret, something hidden that God is judging them for. And hope was over. And their story continues. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity Zechariah has. And when the time for burning of incense came all the assembled worshipers were praying outside and then the angel of the lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense when zechariah saw him he was startled and was gripped with fear now we We think of angels as those cute little things we hang on Christmas trees, or those handsome paintings, you know, that we see around of angels. They're always good-looking, strong, beautiful-looking creatures. Or we think of them as cute kids dressed up with angel wings on their backs. But I'm not sure that's an accurate picture. Because when's the last time you went to your kid's concert and somebody came out with angel wings on their back and you fell to your knees in fear, right? Right? I mean, you may have fallen to your knees restraining laughter, but certainly fear was not in the equation. But as we look at angels in the Bible, almost every instance, the first mistake that people make is they confuse the angel for the very presence of God, and it is overwhelming to them, gripped with fear. Zechariah, this good, blameless man, gripped with fear. Imagine if it was you or me. I mean, we'd be we'd be stammering, we'd be stumbling, we'd be we'd be going, oh man, I'm so sorry, I got angry yesterday. Please forgive me. And I, oh, I cheated on that test in second grade. Can you take? Oh, forgive me for that. Or, or oh man, I had one too many beers yesterday during the Buckeye game, and I went from moderation to sinful drunkenness. Or, or God, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't generous enough like you asked me to do. Or we'd be babbling about our Halloween candy that we stole from our kids, and feeling like Santa was going to give you a piece of coal instead of a gift in your stocking, right? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. It's nice to know God hears you, isn't it? Even if he doesn't answer you the way you want, isn't it nice to know God hears your prayers? Even the smallest prayer you pray, God hears. And the angel goes on and says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, and he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. You see, here's the amazing thing about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Even in the face of their severe disappointment of not being able to have children, they remained faithful and blamelessly faithful to God and his promises that were given to Abraham over 2,000 years earlier, 4,000 years before our time right now. This promise is recorded in Genesis 12, and it says God will make them a great nation. And he did that at one point. They were one of the premier nations on the face of the earth at one point. And then it goes on and says further in the promise that God will make Abraham's name great. And, well, we still know about him, so case closed, Right. And then it goes on and says, And God will bless them and make them a blessing to all nations. And to a certain degree, that happened. But then Israel became inward-looking. They let religion set in. And their faith became more about being good or good enough or better than other people. And when self-focus sets into our faith as the primary focus we begin to become unfaithful to God. And that's exactly what happened to Israel. So after many centuries of God's amazing patience, sending prophet after prophet, good priest after good priest, a number of good kings, a number of other good people, trying to call Israel back to faithfulness of God, God finally judges them and they lose their land and they lose the promised land that they were given by God years earlier And from that time until Zechariah and Elizabeth's time, the land changed hands 25 times or more as armies came and went while waiting for this promise, this defining moment of restoration of themselves and of their nation through a Messiah. And along the way, many people lost their faith as generation after generation died. And yet the amazing thing is that there were people who always believed in the promise. Always believed that there would one day be uh, someone, uh, the Messiah, who would lead them into the blessing in their own family, and their own nation, and the power and the strength that there would be a defining moment. And this part of the Christmas story is so important to us because... The ultimate lesson we face in it is this, that that the moments you are waiting, the moments in which you are waiting, the moments in which you are wondering if the sacrifice and the effort you are making to be righteous is worth it. When you're wondering if you are giving up all this stuff to be a giving person and it's worth it, when you're wondering whether whether being a loving and forgiving person is all worth it, If you are waiting for a defining moment in your own life where love comes or your marriage becomes what you want it to be or you get married or family or affirmation or success or or to be healed or you want justice for an area to be done in your life and you're not only wondering whether the price you are paying to be righteous in the midst of this and faithful is worth it, but you're also wondering whether it will ever come. The answer of the Christmas story is a resounding yes. It is worth it. You see, in a very real sense, we live in the exact same place in time and history that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in many, many years ago in the same world because Jesus has come Jesus has accomplished a work to offer forgiveness to everyone, to redeem everyone who will follow him, and yet we still struggle with this time of waiting for sin to be finally done away with in our lives and not to struggle with it anymore. We continue to struggle with disease and wanting it to be done away with. We continue to be disappointed by the pain that naturally comes when people who are imperfect try to love one another, and we want that to be finished. And while we wait for Jesus to return a second time as the Bible promises, which is the ultimate defining moment of history, how do we live with faith in the promise of God and deal with the waiting? Because often at times I think for me and maybe for you, waiting seems kind of meaningless. Waiting oftentimes gets associated with inactivity. Waiting oftentimes feel like there's no progress being made and that's simply not true. My son was home, Derek, our 20 year old, from college, uh, for fall break a few weeks back. And we were, uh, Wendy was trying to, kind of orchestrating a family conversation with him around how, how do you, how do you think big picture and look long haul with someone in their 20s who doesn't really, really fully know exactly who they are yet or the specifics of their call in their life? And so we were listening to a message by somebody talking about that. And, and my son is a history buff, so he latched onto a quote the guy said by Abraham Lincoln. It was actually young Abraham Lincoln, long before he was famous, said this. He said, I will study and get ready, and someday my chance will come. And when that someday comes, I'm going to be ready for it. Waiting well is preparation. Faithfulness is to study, faithfulness to develop the habits of relationship with God in the good times and the bad, the easy times and the difficult, faithful to develop the good habits of relationship with one another in the good times and the bad. You see, the wells of faithfulness that allow us to make tremendous impact are dug deep and made ready in the times of drought, when it's dry, when we have to dig to try to find water, when it seems like nothing is happening. That's when faithfulness goes deep. And that's what allows our lives to make a lasting, defining difference. Second, waiting well is all about cultivating a heart of worship, about turning our hearts and our minds and acknowledging and trusting God's presence to be real to us, whether we feel it or not, and His goodness to be with us throughout all the day. Not just in the easy times when things are going well, but in the hard times. There's a great illustration from history. The Vikings were a harsh people in a harsh land. The winters were long. The winters were harsh. Few things survived. Almost all the plant life died, and many of the animals would starve to death over the winters in the Viking lands. Few things survived. And yet the evergreen not only survived but thrived. And because of its unique strength The Vikings uh, viewed it as a source of mystery and power, and as they would pray to their gods, they they would pray prayers asking for their lives to be like the evergreen. So when Christian missionaries first arrived on the scene with the Vikings, they actually latched onto that and used the evergreen as an illustration of the life, the enduring promise of God, that God will always be there and God will fulfill his promise no matter how harsh it looks, no matter how bleak it looks, you can always trust him. And they told the story of Jesus through the Christmas tree. Throughout history, Christian missionaries have used the symbol of the Christmas tree to communicate just that. And even put it in in greater terms, they would actually use it as a definition of the three points being the Trinity and talk about uh, Christian theology of who God is and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, even later on, uh, we see a character named Boniface who was an English missionary to the Germanic peoples in the 7th century. And he is uh, serving among them, and they are about ready to sacrifice one of their young boys to their god of Thor at this huge oak tree which they deem to be sacred and inhabited by their god. Boniface runs up to the tree, grabs an axe, axe, and cuts it down. Their sacred tree. And right behind it there was this little fir tree And he began to explain again using the fir tree about the life of God to the people and led many people to faith in Christ. The evergreen remained a symbolic, uh, aid for teaching Christian, for Christians teaching others about Christ for centuries, but it wasn't until the 1500s that it actually became associated with Christmas. It was in Latvia where uh, it's recorded that the first Christmas tree was hung. It was hung upside down. They actually hung it upside down uh, as a symbol from the ceiling uh, of the Trinity, and also if you hang it upside down and imagine it, it looks a little bit like a cross. Uh, when you hang it upside down as well. Uh, and then Martin Luther came along shortly after and added lights to it and added the metaphor not just of enduring life but of light and Jesus being the light of the world. And from that time on, it's been an enduring symbol of Christianity at Christmas. As we begin Advent, I want us to be intentional about fanning into flame our hope in the enduring life of God, the fact that He doesn't want to be just an idea to us, but He wants to be real to each and every one of us. When we look at our Christmas tree to think of God coming to us no matter where we're at, even in the harshest of times, His promise is sure. Today I want to invite you into two different responses. And to invite you into the first one, I'd like you to welcome my wife, uh, Wendy.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, Well, um, in celebrating Advent with all the traditions, I mean, it can get pretty, it can lose some of its meaning because we do these same things year after year. And we were thinking about Advent in October. And so for me, I was starting to get that blasé feeling of like, oh my goodness, I don't want to do all of the work that entails with that. And so I asked, was asking God a question like, how do you want to unwrap or make Advent more real this season? And the thought that popped into my head was um, that I was supposed to do my Christmas tree differently and add lots of lights, colours and decorations. Now, I can be pretty flexible about a lot of Christmas traditions, but I am fairly rigid, some may say, controlling, about the Christmas tree. Um, I le- we have two trees in our house. One is gold and white and matches everything else in the upstairs. And the other one can be in the basement. I don't really care what it looks like as long as it stays in the basement.
0: It, it, that's an improvement. <laughs> it moved from the garage to the
1: basement. Yeah. So anyway... Um, so anyway, so, I mean, aesthetically, it just doesn't work for me to have a mismatch of color. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'll be a little bit willing to do that. And so I had that thought on Monday in October. I went to, on Wednesday, I went to the Connections with God's group, and we were doing an exercise practicing on hearing God's voice. And um, we asked everybody, even though they didn't know who they were going to pray for, we asked them to write a word or a scripture or a picture that God had for somebody in the group. Everybody had put their name in a bucket, and we passed the bucket around, and the person who picked out, um, my name said, okay, I don't know what this means, I just see a picture of somebody in front of a Christmas tree with colored lights. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it just made me giggle. I mean, like, seriously, like, God would care about how I decorate my Christmas tree? I mean, there are bigger things to look at, but, so anyway, um so I was going to do that. So this Friday we were going to do the tree. And so I was asking God, like, okay, I was starting to get hesitant and I didn't really want to do it. Um, okay. So why do you really want me to do the Christmas tree differently? And out then a message just popped so clear and strong for me. I just sensed that God was saying, I want to bring more color to your life and to quest. And, um, Um, that understanding should have been pretty simple. I mean, he was just asking me to add color to a tree. But when that just it resonated so deep in my heart, and it brought back to me a dream that Ross has shared with you before. But but before we ever moved to Ohio, before we ever knew anything about Quest, Ross had a dream where um, there was no color in the dream, and he saw people walking somewhat aimlessly in a strip mine. And in that dream, he sensed that God was asking him, do you want to be a part of bringing color to the people lives in Ohio. And so, you know, so this Friday when we did the tree, I um, don't look at it as a mismatch of color. It is a symbolic representation of a promise that I believe that God has for me, but has for you. And um, that he wants to bring more color, more realness to our lives this year. And so I love the fact that on Advent, the first candle is the candle of hope. And isn't hope the first thing, the first step that we do into believing and receiving a promise? So I want us just to take a moment to just to pause and reflect on how God wants to speak to you about how he wants to bring color to your life. Maybe it's through the evergreen tree about how constant and unchanging he is, how faithful he is, his love never, ever, ever fails us. Or maybe he wants to drop a thought into your heart, That He wants to unpack or unwrap this Advent season like doing your tree different or some tradition he might ask you to do So as the musicians play i'd like you just to take a moment and pause and just let him speak to your heart So let me pray So god, we thank you that you are the god who is the definition of hope And lord, we just ask and we open up our hearts to you that you would speak to us a message of hope that you want to bring to us in this season Speak something true that you desire for us. In Jesus' name.
0: So, our story of Zechariah and Elizabeth ends this way. It says, The angel goes on to say, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared. For the Lord. I do believe God wants to bring color to our own lives. But what this is saying is, God also wants to invite us to re engage His promise to each and every one of us that He wants to use our lives to bring His life and His light and His color to other people around us, to draw them back to the hope of Jesus. Maybe they've drifted away and they've had a faith and they need to come back. Maybe they've never had a faith. The people in your life, God wants you to be used by Him to draw them to Him. Now some of you are going to say, oh no, but this is John the Baptist. He's a great guy. I'm not a great person. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11.11. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater Than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least, I could fit in there, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You see, God does want to work powerfully through you, through your life. He wants to infuse your prayer for your friends, your neighbors, your family members who need to know Him and follow Him with a power that actually touches their lives. He wants to infuse your simple sharing of your story with all the awkwardness that that can sometimes bring because it makes us nervous to share sometimes about faith with other people. With all that awkwardness, He wants to infuse your story with a very real tugging on their hearts to say, I-, I want to know that same God. And he wants to infuse your simple invitation for someone to join you for a service or someone to join you for your small group or someone to, enjoy, uh, to join you for a meal, for you to build a relationship more with a very real power that his, his person is involved with. I want to close our service today by inviting you to continue the tradition we started last year, and that is simply this. We have ornaments on our tree, and on the back of each one of these ornaments is five names. Well, that one has one. That one has five. I want to invite you to spend a moment, and I want you to ask God to bring to your mind five names of people that He wants you to be praying for. Five names of people that He wants you to be working for an opportunity looking for an opportunity to invite them to church to your small group or just to your home for coffee to talk about their life and faith something to help draw them closer to christ now if you can't come up with five i'm not gonna one is fine three is fine But would you just take a moment and let God try to bring and trust Him that He's going to bring the names to mind? It may not be the names that you naturally think of. There may be other names to come to mind. And then I want to invite you to come up to the table over here. And there's ornaments. And just write the names on the back of one of the ornaments and just come up and place it on the tree. If you have a problem with stairs, I'll be here to help you. Or if you would like me to take it up and put it on the tree for you, I'd be happy to do that. But can we just... Can we make this Christmas about trusting, not only is he going to bring light to us, but he's going to work through you, every one of you, to reach someone in the coming year. Now, the people I put on the, na- on the card last year, uh, it took until mid-year for one of them to even start to open up about conversations of faith and it took much longer for any one of them to invite, and actually one of them is considering coming now, a year later. You may have a successful invitation this holiday season, but you may be praying for them for the next year, these five names for the next year, and God may do something next year, or God may do something the year after. But can we just be intentional about making sure we don't become like the Israelites, that it doesn't become about us. We're always attached to what God wants to do. Five names. Join me, would you? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank You that You are an awesome God and that You do reveal Yourself to us, that You make Yourself real. I pray for every single one of the relationships on this tree. Lord, I pray that You would create uh, divine moments of answers to prayer, divine moments of conversation, divine moments for caring and loving and serving And divine moments for invitation. Lord, that we would be amazed at how powerful and how real and how loving you are. Lord, thank you that we don't have to take any pressure for this. Because you are the one who convinces. We just get to work with you in this process. Lord, we commit everyone here, and I commit everyone here to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and you have a need that you'd love to be prayed for, we would love to do that. You you can turn to a friend and grab a friend and pray, or you can join us. Uh, Some people will be available to pray in the prayer area in the back over here. Uh, Have a fantastic week. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.